0: So tonight, we are going to jump into the book of James. So I think James is a pretty popular book. Whenever I talk about it, everyone's like, yeah, James, it's so good. So yeah, we're going to do that tonight. And for the next few weeks, I'm thinking we'll be in it for three more weeks after tonight. Um, Yeah, so James is the brother of Jesus, or was the brother of Jesus. And he wrote this letter. And and James, or so after Jesus um, just ascended to heaven, James kind of took over the Jerusalem church. He was kind of in charge of the church in that first city that the church was started in. And uh, so, uh, so the capital of Israel, Jerusalem, he led the church there. And in this letter here, he wrote to Jewish Christians about 10 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. So that's not really that long, historically speaking. Only 10 years after James is writing this letter to Jewish Christians. And there's two things I love about this book. The first thing is it's highly practical, and it relates to everyday life. You don't really have to, like study the text a long time to figure out what James is saying. He's saying, get off your butt and go live out your faith. That's pretty much what he's saying the whole time. That's like the sentence that will be on the podcast below to describe the sermon. Get off your butt and go live out your faith. But, uh, so it's highly practical. And then also, I like the fact that it was written by Jesus' brother. Okay? So there's actually texts in the gospel that say that James didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God when he was walking the earth. Now, think about this. Check. There we go. I think we're good. But anyways, so think about if your brother started saying he was God. Would you believe him? Probably not. Okay, so James didn't believe Jesus, even though Jesus was doing all these miracles. I don't know if James thought they were magic tricks or what, but he didn't believe him. And then after Jesus died and then rose again, all of a sudden James started to believe. So I think what happened was he saw the resurrected Jesus. So if you want a really good evidence for how we know Jesus was resurrected from the dead... His own brother believed that he was God. And what changed his thinking was once Jesus rose from the dead. If I start saying Derek's God, something weird must have happened, okay? <laughs> so I just think that's an incredible argument <laughs> for, for Jesus' divinity and the fact that he did rise from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, that should change everything about our lives, just like it did for James, who was eventually killed for his faith. That's the reality each of us need to grasp, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and then it should change the way we live. We can see James pre the resurrection and then after the resurrection, completely different person. And I pray tonight and any week in Kyle that you would encounter God in that way, where it changes everything about your life. Like, I want to be like James, like where I encounter the risen Lord, and it changes the way that I live. So we're going to start out in verse 1 through 18. So we're just going to start working through the text. If you have your Bibles... Turn there. I know a lot of you don't. It's on the screen. But uh, so for this year's, I think it'd be fun to bring your Bible just because you can like ride in it and have fun. But, anyways, I don't know. What's that? There you go. Challenge time. <clears throat> all right. So we're going to read the first 18 verses. I'm going to read this to us. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. And and if any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his hu- or the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with or with its scorching heat and withers the grass; its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should What is going on tonight? That we should be a kind of first fruits. Of its creatures. Alright, hold on a second. Pull this up. See if that helps. Alright, so I'm gonna pray over this text. Jesus, I just pray tonight that you would speak through this text. God, I pray that you would just bring it to life. I pray that it would be like James sitting in here with us, just in laying auditorium, just sharing the truth of this text with us. I pray that there be divine insight that comes out through this text. I pray that you would encourage us through this text and each believer. And each person would walk out of here just knowing that you are with us and that you stand with us in the midst of our trials and you use them for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one thing that I've learned in my time of following Jesus is that God is at work in every situation, whether it's big or small, whether it's good or bad. God is committed to using our situations to work out his will in our lives and to shape us into the person that he has created us to be. So, God doesn't waste any circumstances. That's something I've learned. God is always at work behind the scenes trying to shape and mold us into the man or woman that he has called us to be. And for me, there's been some tough seasons in my life where I've just, or just wondered where God is. And then once I get out of that season, I realize that he was at work all along behind the scenes shaping me and molding me and strengthening my faith. So one example of this was my sophomore year here at UNI. I decided to take an Old Testament class, so it's like, it's not like what you would think as far as they're not trying to encourage me to grow in the things of God or to understand it through a Christian perspective, but instead the professor's whole goal is to destroy your faith, pretty much. I took that class just right below here, here in Lang Hall, and I also took, or took New Testament as well, so I took both of these classes with the same professor, and the guy was an amazing man, seriously, like, like one of my favorite professors. I so after that, I went to Bible college, and he was still one of my favorite professors. He was an agnostic, but an, just an amazing guy, super smart, super nice, a great guy. But, but the textbook we use is written by a guy who was really hurt by the faith when he was a kid, okay? So his whole goal is to destroy young people's faith. He's a professor down at the University of North Carolina, and his goal is to destroy students' faith. Like, if you go online and go to Rate My Professors, and just, I uh, searched this guy who wrote the textbook. Like, it's nasty. What students say about him? Like, this guy just trying to destroy our faith. So anyways, we studied this textbook, and there began to be these arguments against my faith that I couldn't grapple with. I couldn't really understand. I didn't really have the answers for them, and I felt like every time I went to class, I was afraid that I would stop believing that Jesus rose from the dead and was my God. That's the way I felt it. every time I went to class. I was the president in Chi Alpha. I was leading worship, and I'm struggling with these questions about the authority of the scriptures, and I was wrestling with this for quite some time. And then it came to this breaking point for me. There's one night I was in Panther Village. And just to give some backdrop, Jesus was still working in my life. Like, I, like during this season, I prayed for a guy who couldn't move his finger separately. like He had cerebral palsy. And he began to move his finger separately. So I could see Jesus working in my life. But at the same time, I'm struggling with, is the Bible actually accurate? Is it actually trustworthy? So anyways, in the midst of this, I'm in Panther Village, and I'm just crying out to God like I need some encouragement. I just feel like I'm so dry in my faith right now. I have such little faith. And the Lord led me to Psalm 91, and I want to read it together because I think it really shapes our talk well today. So the Lord led me to that text through two things. One, it was in my Bible reading plan for the day, and then also I saw Ray Lewis had uh, a—so he's a middle linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, took off his pads, said Psalm 91 on his shirt. So I was like, all right, God might be trying to say something to me. So anyways— i read this text, and this is what it says. It says, so tonight there might be, there's going to be some text, okay? Quite a bit of text, so just bear with me. It says this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, and nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that, that wastes at, at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense. I'm not really sure if that's how you pronounce that of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, and no evil shall be allowed to befall you, and no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So I'm sitting here in Panther Village, and I read these words, and I began to just get emotional, because I realize that in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my trial, or, or just wrestling with my faith and doubting, God was not sitting in heaven saying, Daniel, quit doubting. He's not sitting in heaven saying, Daniel, you're really screwed up. These questions you're asking are really going to send you to hell. No, instead, God's saying, I'm fighting for you. He says, I'm commanding my angels concerning you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep your faith. I'm going to fight for your faith. I'm going to strengthen your faith. And you're going to come out through this and be stronger. So my doubts weren't just eliminated at that point. It wasn't like all the questions I had just went away. But all of a sudden, I had a confidence that I wasn't going to lose my faith, but God was going to fight for my faith. In Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 11. It might not be, but it's, but it's around there. It says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's in charge of our faith, okay? So I began to have confidence, and I began to see behind this textbook. I saw a man, a scholar who was actually hurt by the church. I did more research on him and saw that he was very biased, And I began to come back with counter arguments. And it's not like I just made the professor fall to his knees and say, hey, you're right. Like, I wasn't that smart. I'm still not that smart. But anyways, like, I would counter him. And there would be times he wouldn't know what to say. And God would give me confidence. When I go into class, I'm like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to witness to these seeking people. Because there wasn't a lot of Christians in the class. My faith was strengthened. And now, five years later, I'm your pastor. Students who are taking the same kind of classes. Students who are struggling with the same kind of things. I had no idea about those arguments and those theories, but now I do because I took that class. So God used that trial to grow my faith. God used that trial to help me be equipped for the calling that he had on my life. And I believe that God wants to use your trials to help you become the person that he has created you to be. We all have our own trials in this place. Maybe they're not as trivial as mine was of struggling with academic theories on the Bible. Like a lot of you might not even care about that. You know, maybe for you, you've been hurt by someone who you really love. You know, maybe you're on the brink of flunking out of college. Maybe your relationships are in shambles. Maybe you lost a parent or a loved one. Maybe you're struggling really badly with temptation. I don't know what your trials are. And I'm not going to try to explain them away to you or tell you just to buck up and deal with them. Guys, I'm not going to tell you that they're no big deal, just have more faith. Instead, I'll tell you that Jesus is with you in your trials, and he's committed to using them for your good and for his glory. He's not the author of evil or suffering, but he's the author of good and will take things that the devil intends for evil and turn them around for our good. I think James is telling us that tonight. So the main idea I have is this. When trials and temptations come, we must cling to Jesus, the one who walks with us and shapes us into the person that he has called us to be. I love what the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 43. Israel had disobeyed God and messed up really badly. Because of their choices as a people and a nation, hardships came into their flock. And, and God reassured them, though, in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of their struggle, he reassured them of his commitment to be with them even in the midst of trials and hardships. And it's actually interesting because one of the lines from these verses was in one of the songs tonight, and I had no clue. So God is trying to say something, so please listen. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire then you shall not be burned. Say it in that sassy singer voice. Walk through the fire, and not be burned. Yeah, come on. And the flame shall not consume you. So no matter what you're going through in this place today, I want to say this. God is calling you not to fear because he's redeemed you. He's called you by name. He says, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, he's going to be there. When you go Through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, then you're not going to be burned. Not if Jesus is walking with you. This is the kind of God we serve. He's committed to us, ferociously committed to us. We have to remember this, no matter what our circumstances are, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to get the truth that God is committed to using our trials for, for our good. And it's committed to walking with us through every life situation. So there's four things I want you to get. I'm going to try to go quickly. The first thing comes from verses 2 through 4. So let's read those again really quick. We're going to get total, go through this text twice. So you're really getting get it in yet. So let's read this again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So the first thing that James wants us to get so we can arrive at the main idea tonight is this. We can face trials with joy because we know that God will use them for good. James is pretty countercultural. If you read this thing, he's not telling us what we want to hear, okay? Culture tells us when trials come, shake your fist at God, blame Him, get angry, and then run from your trials. Flee anything that's hard, blame others for your trials. But James says embrace trials. Count it joy when you face trials of various kinds because your trials are going to lead to your maturity. And when they have their full effect, then you'll be perfect. Shaped into the person that God has created you to be. He says, look at the big picture. Don't just look at the trial. Look at the big picture and see what God is doing in the midst of your trial. The Greek word for the word testing in verse 3 is this word dakamion, which refers to a positive test that can make our faith genuine. And in the Greek word for steadfastness at the end of verse 3 is hupamene, which refers to a constancy, endurance or characteristic of a person who's not swerved to the left or to the right from their loyalty to God. So what James is saying is your trials are tests that are going to make your faith genuine and and constant. So who in here wants to have a genuine, constant faith? I know I do. I want to have a genuine, constant faith that's not fake. I want to be real. I want to really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. James is saying if you want this kind of unshakable faith, the kind of faith that the apostles had where they went all the way to their death for Jesus. If you want that kind of faith, then you're going to have some trials. That just comes with the territory. Then in verse 4, he says that, that when our steadfastness has its full effect, then we'll become perfect. Now, we know no one's perfect in this room, okay? We're not ever perfect on earth, but, but James is saying as you face trials and and mature in your faith, you're going to go towards perfection. And then when you die and see Jesus face to face, then you'll be perfect. And the Bible refers to this as sanctification, okay? So if you ever heard the word sanctification, it's just a fancy word for being made more holy, becoming more like Jesus. So God uses our trials to sanctify us, to help us become more like Jesus. So with that considered, trials can be our friend. Trials can help us become the person that God has created us to be. God can use our trials for his glory. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you can face trials with joy because you know that God is going to work all things together for your good. So your struggle, get this guys, your struggle can either become your downfall or it can become your platform. Your struggle can become your downfall or your struggle can be used as an important part of your life that God uses to grow you and encourage others. The choice is really ours. It depends upon what our mindset is. Do we have the mindset of James or do we have the mindset of what the world says? All right, so let's read verses five through eight. Now we're going to go to the second point. If any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So the second thing that James wants us to get is we should seek wisdom from God to help us get through the trial. So James goes on to say that if you lack wisdom in how to handle a trial, then ask God who is eager to help you out. God wants to give you wisdom. But be sure to ask in faith. Ask in confidence and trust in God's perfect character. Because when we doubt God or go back and forth between trusting God and trusting something or someone from the world, then we're like a wave that's unstable and, and uncertain. And worse yet, we will not receive what we ask for because doubt in God's good character dishonors him. Therefore, we need to ask God for wisdom in faith. That he wants to help us. Trusting that God has our good in mind and reminding ourselves of the truth in Romans 8.28 that God is committing to working all things together for our good. So Matthew 21.22 says, And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus said that. He said, and then James says, ask for wisdom. God will give it to you. So we can take that to the bank. We can ask God for wisdom, trusting in his good character. And we can expect to get wisdom. Wisdom. So for me as a pastor, I come across situations with students all the time where I need supernatural wisdom. You guys come to me with concerns, and I have no idea what to say, to be honest, a lot of times. I need wisdom from God to help me find the right words or to lead you in the right direction. And there's times, I've had situations where if I don't handle this correctly, this could end up very badly for me and for the person, okay? There's just been situations like that. That just comes with the territory and ministry, There's times where I'll pray before I have a meeting with a student, and all of a sudden, God just starts to drop stuff into into my mind. It's like all of a sudden, I'm starting to understand how to handle this the way that God wants me to handle it. I'm telling you guys, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. If you sit before God and say, hey, I need help with how to handle this trial, he'll give you wisdom. Take it to the bank and trust that God has good character, and he wants to help you. So guys, use every trial as an opportunity to gain more wisdom from God. And next time you're going through a difficult situation, ask God to help you in a few ways. One, to get through the trial with joy. That's the hope, that we don't come out of the trial shaking our fist at God and mad at him. But instead, we face the trial with joy. Two, ask God how to handle the trial. Hey, God, how should I respond to this trial? And then three, most importantly, ask God, hey, what should I learn from this trial? If you have a relational problem with a friend, don't gossip and tell everyone about it. Instead, ask God for help. Don't triangulate, but say, God, I need wisdom with how to deal with this trial. If you're doing poorly in a class, ask God for wisdom on how to get back on track or how to kiss up to the professor in the right way so she'll let you turn in your assignments late. If you're struggling financially, ask God for help and then go apply for a job. Remember (laughs) that God wants to use your trials for good. And invite him into the process. There's so many times I'm struggling with something. and I realize like three days into this struggle, I haven't even spoke to God about this. I've read my Bible because that's what you're supposed to do, okay? But I haven't actually invited God into my day-to-day, or day-to-day life and said, hey, can you help me with this specific situation? And every time I do ask him, he comes through. He comes through. He speaks wisdom to me. So guys, I encourage you, invite God into your trials and ask him for wisdom. Let's go on to verses 9 through 11. This is where it gets kind of tricky. All right, let's read this. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So during trials, we have... To keep our eyes fixed on Christ and not on our circumstances. That's what I think James is trying to say here. James exhorts his readers to not tie themselves to their circumstances, but to remember that their present circumstances will pass away. So both poverty, poor circumstances, and riches, great circumstances, can distract us from God. They can cause us to focus too much on the world. So if you're poor or have poor circumstances, you can become fixated on correcting those circumstances, or fall into despair because because of your situation, or if you're rich or have good circumstances, you can become so confident in yourself and your ability to keep your world intact that you stop trusting in God to hold it all together. You can get focused on pursuing the riches in the world and not the riches of heaven. So James places this thought in here about not trusting any other thing in the midst of his discourse about trials and temptations because he wants to remind us do not focus on your circumstances when you're in a trial or not whether good or bad he talks about the poor and the rich do not get so focused on those circumstances but remain fixated on Christ he says if you're poor Don't fall into despair or focus on just fixing your circumstances, but instead turn your eyes towards heaven and boast in the fact that Christ will raise you up to be with him on the last day. He says that the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation. Christ will exalt you. He says don't focus on the trial, but focus on where you're headed. Christ is going to exalt you. I'm telling you guys, we need to stop focusing on our circumstances and instead focus on our King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ who raised from the dead, Jesus Christ who defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. That's what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on my poor circumstances. And on the other end, if you're doing great, you're having great circumstances, classes are going good, you're building that resume up. He says, don't trust in yourself. He says, don't focus on your riches because those riches are going to pass away. But instead, he says, boast in your humiliation. Or so he says, as everything is going good, boast in the humiliation that comes by taking up your cross and following Jesus and saying, more of you and less of me. So no matter where we're at, bad circumstances, good circumstances, James says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what's going to help you get through just whatever circumstances come your way. So the writer to the Hebrews speaks of the importance of remaining anchored in Christ just no matter the circumstances. I love this verse, Hebrews six nineteen. 19. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, of the soul, not the sword, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's pretty cool. A steadfast anchor for our soul, Jesus. So last fall, I was dealing with a difficult situation. It was one of the hardest situations I've ever dealt with. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. It was truly a situation that was out of my hands. I just didn't have any wisdom for how to deal with it. And as I went through this trial, and I was wondering, God, how can I fix this? Like, how can I make this better? I felt like the Lord just kept saying to me, keep trusting in me. I felt like he kept saying, I'll fight for you. And then God just led me to this verse. And in Exodus 14, 14, I just want to share it with you because it just profoundly impacted the way I handle my trials says this. says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. So God spoke this truth to Moses, so the leader of the people of Israel at the time. As they were being chased by the Egyptian army, so one of the most powerful armies in the world, they're chasing them down towards the sea. It's either they're going to get destroyed or drown, okay? And then God speaks that to Moses, and then what does God do? He parts the Red Sea and then they walk through the sea on dry ground. And then the Egyptians try to follow them into the sea. And if you've ever like, watched any cartoon about this, you've seen it. The water comes in on the Egyptians and God drowns them. So that's like, maybe not the most encouraging thing. God drowned the people, but just read the Old Testament. We're not going to talk about it today. But uh, so, anyways. Um, but see, Moses, he couldn't do anything. But instead, he just had to trust in God. So for me and my circumstance, I had to trust. And the Lord, and the Lord began to fight for me behind the scenes. I felt like I was being chased down by an army of bad circumstances. But God said, be silent, my son. Be still and trust in me. Trust in the fact that I'll work it out for your good. So we need to make a commitment in this group that just no matter what our life throws at us, no matter what battle comes our way, we're going to remain anchored in Christ. And we're going to keep our eyes fixed on him, and we're going to trust in him and know that he is going to fight for us. We need to be that group. If your relational world is going great, if you have great friends, a great community, then praise God, okay? That's, that's amazing. But if you're struggling to find friends, if you're struggling to find a significant other, we just did our dating series, So some of you are thinking about it, like, come on, God, let's go. God is calling you to lean into him and let him fight for you. If you have money in the bank, praise God. That's a great thing. I like having money. But if you're poor, praise God that he's going to provide for you. He'll be your provider. If classes are going great, praise Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, okay? Praise the Lord. That's incredible. Thank you, God, for giving me the faculties to do well in my class. If classes aren't going well, then get some better study habits, okay? Stop waiting until 3 a.m. to study, get some accountability, but also lean into God and say, you're going to take care of this. The point is, no matter what our circumstances are or what's going on in our world, we need to remain fixated on Christ and his power and the fact that it says that if God is for us, then who can be against us? That truth needs to shape our lives. I want to be a person who no matter what happens in my life, I just say, I'm saying, fix on Jesus. That's how these apostles were able to to die for their faith. That's how James was able to die for his faith. He knew that God was fighting for him, and yeah, he was killed. So that doesn't sound like God's working all things together for our good. So that doesn't promise that everything in life is going to go perfectly. But in the end, all things work together for your good because James is in heaven, and I bet you he's going to have a really cool mansion, okay? I'm just saying. he's also Jesus' brother, so he gets that too. But (laughs) all right. So verse 12 through 18, this is our last thing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when he's tempted. All right, some of you need to hear this, okay? I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the fourth and final thing tonight is this. Just no matter how hard things get we have to remember that every good gift is from God and evil and temptations are from the enemy so who in here has had a tough situation in life and your first reaction is to ask god why me you don't have to feel bad i I've, I've done that probably pretty recently actually or what was it i got sick like 5 times this winter i was like god seriously come on lord it happens we've all been there We wonder, why would this happen to me? We wonder, why would I get tempted in this way? Why would this evil thing happen to a good friend? We ask that question. When evil happens in our world or bad things happen, we say, God, why do bad things happen to good people? I love how James deals with this kind of thinking. He doesn't demonize you for the struggle of trying to understand why bad things happen to seemingly good people, but he corrects our thinking like a good pastor by giving us some good theology. In verses 13 through 15, he establishes that temptation is not from God, but it's a result of our own sinful desires. We can't blame our temptations on God. We can't blame our struggle with pornography on God or the way he created you. Some of you are like, God, why'd you give me those body parts? Seriously. Some of you have had that conversation with God. I did when I was 12. Okay. Or greed on God. We can't, Blame our greed on God. You can't say, God, there's just so much money around here. You know, I live in America. It's so hard not to be greedy. Nope, we don't blame God. That's on us, and it's on the enemy who seeks to destroy us. God does not tempt. God will test you. God will grow you. God will use your trials to grow you into the man or woman that he has called you to be. But he does not tempt you. Temptation and sin is on two people. One is on you. It's on us. Because we rebelled against God. And we have evil desires, and that's our own doing. But it's also on Satan, because he is eager to destroy us. We have an enemy, and we have to realize that he's there, and he's fighting against you. 1 Peter 5 eight says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So here's the reality. Satan wants to devour you. So if you're growing in your faith, you're feeling good, and then all of a sudden you start to get tempted again. Maybe you were in the party scene, and you got out of it, and now you're starting to feel tempted again. You're starting to struggle. Should I get in the party scene again? Or maybe you found freedom from pornography, and all of a sudden you're seeing all these images pop up. That's not God, obviously. That's Satan. He's trying to destroy you. And you need to start to understand that, or that you do have an enemy, and you have to start to battle back against him by relying on Jesus, by by remaining fixated on him, but, or by not looking at your circumstances, but always looking at God. And you have to remember that every good thing is from God. So none of us are good. We're all fallen. I talked about that. And every person is a bad person by nature. Therefore, when we ask the question, why do good things, or not good things, why do bad things happen to good people? It's actually, it's, or it's not a good question. Because every person is bad. Every person has fallen short of the glory of God. So instead of asking, why do bad things happen to good people, we should ask God, why do good things happen to bad people like us? And the answer to that question is in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's kind of a cool phrase. Father of lights. It's thinking of the stars that God hung. It's amazing. The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, God doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same. Or is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, and it says, "Or shadow due to change." So the reason that good things happen to bad people is God. God so loves us that He gives us good gifts to enjoy. We've each rebelled against Him. We've invited sin into our world. We've invited brokenness into our world. Or into our world. We have given Satan dominion in our life, but God or God intervenes by giving us good things in the midst of the evil. So this world should be hell because we've invited sin, but God intervenes and says, I'm still going to give them sleep. I'm still going to give them rest. I'm going to give them food. I'm going to give them friendship. I'm going to give them community. I'm going to give them love. God just remains committed to giving us good things when we don't deserve anything. And he gives us the best gift of all when he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that each of us should have died. That's the greatest gift of all. So I'm telling you guys, when we get this switch to flip in our lives, Where we start to understand that every good thing is from God. He only wants to give us good things. But evil and temptation is from the enemy. We're going to start to get our relationship with God on track. We're going to start to view things in the right mind. And we're going to be able to see what God is doing behind the scenes. And not blame him or backtrack in our faith. Just because a bad circumstance comes into our life. So remember, evil and temptation is from the enemy. Good gifts are from God. And let us never make the mistake of pinning our circumstances on God, but instead let us fix our eyes towards heaven, thanking God for his beautiful gifts and his amazing, or his amazing love that sent his only son all the way to the cross to pay for our sins. Let's be that group of people. The worship team would come back up. So James 1, 1 through 18 just smacked me in the face. It's good stuff. Seriously, guys, like, I think we could wrestle with this for, like, three hours. We don't have the time, and you wouldn't stay. I'd be sitting here talking to myself, just like I do during the day when I practice my sermons. It's not fun to preach by yourself, okay? But uh, it gets really boring. But anyways, it's fun to look at your faces and see, like, the response. Like, some of you are just like, like, that's really fun to look at. I'm just messing with you. But all right, so back to seriousness. The main idea tonight is this. When trials and temptations come, we must cling to, To Jesus, the one who walks with us and shapes us into the person that he has called us to be. And there's four points. We're going to throw them up on the screen quickly here. We can face trials with joy because we know that God will use them for our good. So we can know that. We can face trials with joy because we know that God is working behind the scenes, just like for me when I was struggling with that professor in that class. God was working behind the scenes to turn that into good. Secondly, we should seek wisdom from God. Lean on God. Don't lean on everyone around you, although we need community. But instead, lean on God who will give you wisdom to get through the trial. The third thing, during trials, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and not on our circumstances. And finally, no matter how hard things get, things will get hard. If you live long enough, things will get really hard. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience sickness. You're going to experience shattered dreams. It's going to happen. And I just know a lot of you guys, I can sense like right now that there's things that you have dealt with that I could never even fathom. There's stuff that happened in your childhoods that I couldn't even fathom. I had a pretty good life growing up. So I can't even pretend to imagine how hard things have been for you. But the truth is, no matter how hard things get, we have to keep telling ourselves, we have to keep reminding ourselves of James 1, 17, that says that every good gift is from God. Every good gift is from God. He loves you just like a good father would love his son or daughter. And he gives you good gifts. Every good gift is from God. And evil and temptation... And sickness and death and famine and hurt and pain and bitterness, those things are from Satan. So, if you're here tonight and you're struggling or you're going through a trial, I want to encourage you God is with you. God is walking with you through fire. You may not sense Him right now, you may not hear His voice, but I promise He's there. He's quietly fighting for you, He's fighting for your faith, He's fighting for your salvation. He's fighting so that all things could work together for your eternal good. So guys, face your trial with joy because you know that Jesus is there with you and he's going to use it to shape you into the man or woman that he's called you to be. And I'm telling you guys, God has huge plans for your life. You can't even understand what God has planned for you. If you submit yourself to the process, if you don't walk away when things get tough, if you allow God to shape and mold your heart, he has amazing plans for you to change your world. I believe God wants to use you to change this campus. But you have to submit yourself to the process. And don't forget, guys, that God sent us the greatest gift of all when he sent his own son. I'm going to say it again. To live the life that just none of us could ever live. We could never be perfect like Jesus was. And then to go die the death that each of us should have died on the cross for our sins. And then Jesus, as James saw, rose from the dead. He came back from death. That's pretty cool. And he defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. I pray that if you don't know Jesus or if you're not really just walking with him tonight, I pray that you would invite him into your life and enter into the amazing relationship that he has for each of us. You guys could just stand with me tonight. Let us be a people who cling to Jesus no matter what circumstances life throws at us. Let us trust. In Romans 8:28, 28, says that God will work all things together for our good. And I want to end where we started tonight. In Isaiah 43, it says this, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. He's saying this to you tonight. Just picture God saying this to you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, when things get tough, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, the stuff really starts to hit the fan. God says you will not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. So no matter what happens, let us remember that God is fighting for us. He's working behind the scenes of your life for your good. He's committed to using your circumstances, whether they're good or bad, for your good and for your glory. He will walk through the fire with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray tonight. So I want to ask a question first, though, two questions. The first question is this. If you're in this room and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been walking with the Lord, You know, maybe you just have never given your life to Jesus or you once did, but you've since walked away. But tonight you want to make a commitment to be in a relationship with a God who commits to walk through fire with you and the God who walked through fire on the cross by paying for your sins. If you want to commit and invite him into your heart, I pray that you would do that tonight. So if that's you, can you just raise your hand right now? There's no one looking around. Is there anyone in this place? See that hand? Is there anyone else? It's amazing. See that hand. All right, let's pray for that really quick. I'm just going to pray a prayer out loud, and you pray in your heart. Just pray a prayer of surrender and of just asking God to come into your heart. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you paid our penalty on the cross. God, we thank you that you live this life just like we have. God, you walked on this earth. and You know what it's like to be a human being. God, we thank you that you're not some distant or dormant God. But you've walked on this earth. You've experienced pain and suffering and hurt. But Jesus, you remained on this earth. and You lived the perfect life. and You went to the cross for us. And God, tonight we just surrender to you and trust in you and just ask you to save us from our sins. Jesus, we surrender. We want to give you full control of our lives tonight. In Jesus' name. And one more question. If you're in this room and you're going through a trial. You're just going through something. And tonight, you just need to say, Jesus, you got this. Dad, you got this. That's you just raise your hand to heaven. Tons of hands going up in the air. All right, I'm just going to pray that prayer. Dad, we love you so much. And we know, Father, that you're fighting for us. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here with us, that you're empowering us to get through these trials. And God, we just ask you tonight, to help us to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds because we know that you're going to work it together for our good. And God, we pray tonight that tonight that we'd be able to sense your presence and know that you're here with us in the midst of the struggle. God, we love you so much. We pray this all in your name. You are so good. Amen.